Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, the views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. So today, our focus is on digital healthcare. We'll be speaking with Sammy Inkinen, who is the founder and CEO of Verta Health, that's V-I-R-T-A, Verta Health, an organization that treats type 2 diabetes virtually. I think you're going to find what Sammy and his colleagues are doing fascinating and compelling. And Sammy is an absolutely wonderful, inspiring, lovable person. But before I I do a more formal introduction of Sammy, I would like to, in full disclosure, let you know that I've known Sammy for probably over three years now, and I actually sit on the advisory board or an advisory board for Verda. I've I've interviewed Sammy before for a book I'm uh, authoring on reframing healthcare, and I wasn't planning on hosting him on the podcast, but I have to tell you, the interview I did with him for the book was so much fun, and uh, I got so much out of it. I, I really just wanted to share with you. Um, so we're going to be discussing uh, a bit about uh, the nutritional approach that Verta takes. It's a low-carbohydrate, high-fat nutritional approach, uh, so-called ketogenic diet uh, that uh, Verta deploys virtually. Uh, and, and folks, there's a ton of podcasts and literature uh, out there about the ketogenic diet, what I'd like to focus on uh, in, in this podcast and for the purposes we're about is really how Sammy and his colleagues at Verta have approached healthcare delivery, how they're reframing it, redefining, and in some ways reorganizing healthcare delivery and uh, really achieving some remarkable outcomes. So let me just tell you a little bit about Sammy, uh, and I could go on for, for quite some time, so I'm going to try to keep it short. Sammy Inkinen is, uh, as, I, as I said before, he's the CEO and founder of the San Francisco-based Verta Health. Verta is an online specialty medical clinic that reverses type 2 diabetes safely and sustainably without the risk, costs, or side effects of medications or surgery. And you heard me right. I, I did say reverses type 2 diabetes uh, Sammy is also an active investor in companies advancing human health and performance as an angel investor and a venture partner at Obvious Ventures. Previously, uh, before founding Verta, Sammy was uh, the co-founder, COO, and president of a company called Trulia until its uh, IPO and eventual sale for $3.6 billion. That's billion with a B. Uh, Sammy's an avid athlete. He's a triathlon world champion in his age group. Uh, And uh, not too long ago, uh, he rode across the Pacific Ocean from California to Hawaii with his wife in an unsupported rowboat uh, at a record speed to uh, raise awareness about healthy nutrition. He he and his wife ate only what they could carry on the boat with them. uh, And there were no other support boats. It was literally them and the Pacific Ocean. It's uh, really quite remarkable. Uh, Sammy received uh, a master's in physics from uh, the Helsinki University of Technology, and uh, he received an MBA from Stanford University. Um, It is always uh, a privilege and a real pleasure to be talking to uh, Sammy Inkinen. Sammy, how are you doing today? Well, Zen, first of all, thank you for the overly kind introduction. Uh, super happy to participate and uh, chat with you and doing well. I'm here in San Francisco and excited to have this conversation. So, Sammy, let me, let me, let me ask you a question. And it's a really basic question. Um, here you are. So you've done incredibly well with this company, Trulia. Um, you could have stayed in that genre and, and maybe, you know, tell the, the, the listeners on this podcast a little bit about that. But what, what led you to leave that industry, uh, and, and take on healthcare? What, what's your story there? Yeah. Well, uh, the decision to leave online real estate or real estate technology was very separate from, starting Verda. So the formal, the first step was that I, after seven or eight years of building 
truly uh, as, as a founder and CEO and president, as you mentioned, uh, I just reached a point where I said, wow, this is starting to feel like work. And I, I feel that I've always been lucky through my life so that I've really never felt like I've been working. I've always been on a mission and trying to do something meaningful. And so this was year 2012. We were about to go public. And I said, I think I've accomplished what I wanted to with this company and with this journey. Uh, I don't think I want to sign up for another five years, five, six, seven years with public market investors and continue building this company. So that the joy from just starting something from scratch as an immigrant in America and building something meaningful and having tens of millions of people use your product, that joy, I had gotten that joy, but then it just felt like more business for the sake of more revenues, for the sake of more growth, for the sake of more uh, profits for investors wasn't that rewarding at that point. So and long story short, I decided to take a step back and say, I'm just going to stay on the board and um, hopefully follow the further growth of Trulia from the sidelines. So that was my decision to step back right before we went public and I stayed on the board. Now, how did I become a healthcare entrepreneur and how did I become someone who wanted to go and cure or reverse type 2 diabetes? It was very accidental. And what happened to me was... It was around 2012, so the same time I stepped away from Trulia, that I not only won the world championships in triathlon in my age group, but I also found out that I was pre-diabetic. In other words, had constantly elevated uh, blood sugar levels. And I thought, well, I, I know quite a few things about health and wellness, uh, but this shouldn't be possible. How is this possible that someone who is following the guidance that we give to people struggling with obesity and potentially diabetes, which is try to exercise more and stay on diet and lose some weight and don't gain weight, someone who's following exactly that for perhaps two decades, how, how on earth can someone then become pre-diabetic? And so that was sort of a turning moment for me in my life. And certainly at that point, I didn't think that there's a solution to the diabetes epidemic here. I just thought, well, I need to figure this out for myself. I need to understand how a fit and lean person with no extra body fat can become pre-diabetic. Um, and then, so as I started re reading published research, published evidence, in fact, peer-reviewed published evidence, it, pretty quickly I, I learned two things. Um, and by the way, primarily from the two scientists who became co-founders of Verda with me later. It was one, the primary contributor to type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes is, is not obesity on, or overweight. It is insulin resistance. And you can be insulin resistant even if you are lean or skinny and even if you exercise. In fact, there's a lot of, there's millions of people who are insulin resistant and they are lean or skinny. They don't look obese. So that was the first thing I learned. And then the second thing I learned, which was the most shocking to me, was that this thing that causes type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, it can be and it has been reversed systematically without surgery and without exercise and without really dieting and losing a lot of weight. And when I learned that, I was perplexed and I thought, well, that's crazy. Is this... Is this the spark or the seed to a solution to one of the biggest epidemics we have in our hands, which is the type 2 diabetes epidemic? Um, and then the third thing that I learned was, was I started asking these scientists, Dr. Finney and Dr. Wallach, mainly, I said, why hasn't this been done before? Um, if there is a way to reverse this root cause of type 2 diabetes without surgery and systematically do that? Why hasn't this been done before? And as I discovered that the, the issue was really delivering an intervention that requires some behavior change as well as constant monitoring of the patients and adjusting their medications, it was not possible in an outpatient setting without technology and the regulatory changes that allow uh, telemedicine. That's when my light bulb went off and I said, well, if you have the science to reverse insulin resistance, I can help with technology. We can solve this care delivery problem uh, and telemedicine laws have changed. So we can do this anywhere, at least in, in America. So long, long, long answer to your question. But 
Um, once I discovered that type 2 diabetes could be reversed and we could use technology to deliver this type of intervention, I, I simply felt that there's nothing more important I could be doing for the next couple of decades. And I pulled myself out of this, what I now call semi-retirement mode. And I said, hey, we need to, we need to do something. Let's build a company. Let's try to do this. Let's run a clinical trial, see if this works. And if it works, maybe we can help millions of people reverse their type 2 diabetes. And here we are three years later. And, and Sammy, uh, could you share with the listeners, what, what is your ambition with Verda uh, in terms of, uh, and I know it's a lofty goal, in terms of reversing type 2 diabetes? Yeah, so our stated mission is to reverse type 2 diabetes in 100 million people by 2025. Um, so that, that's the stated mission. And, you know, 100 million is, is a large number, but there, there's a logic behind that other than being just a round, round number that's very easy to remember. And the logic is we already have 450 million-ish people with type 2 diabetes globally. And that number is going to increase by, as it's estimated, by another 100 million or 200 million over the next uh, decade or two. So we wanted to set a number that we thought would actually have an impact in the world uh, and would be sort of worthy of the time and the effort that it takes to try to accomplish something like that. It would be nice to help a million people, but frankly, there's going to be a million new people with type 2 diabetes in just a couple of years in the U.S. alone. So that's why we set that goal. Yeah, and just to underscore this, uh, for many of you who are listening know these statistics, but at the present moment, uh, the prevalence of diabetes uh, in this country, in the United States, is close to 10%. And the prevalence of prediabetes, the last numbers I saw were that it was over 30%, literally around the third of the population is prediabetic and uh, almost a tenth is diabetic. So these are, are staggering numbers. And as Sammy just alluded to, clearly uh, the numbers are increasing. And it's not just uh, the U.S. In fact, our countries across the globe where the uh, prevalence is actually much higher. And again, uh, all we're seeing is an increase in diabetes globally. It's, it is, as Sammy says, I completely agree with you, Sammy. It's, it's, there's no question. It is an epidemic that is only getting worse. So let me, let me just switch gears for a second. Cause uh, Sammy, this is, uh, and I, you know, we, we could devote the whole, uh, podcast to this issue of the ketogenic diet and, and the approach and, and the science of it and the results you're getting. But I want to step back for a second and really talk about, um, from a healthcare delivery perspective, the, and, and we'll talk about the technology enablement part, but here you are. So you have a background in physics and in business, and uh, you spent, you know, nearly a decade building this uh, online real estate company called Trulia. And then you have this uh, this event happen to you where you discover, you know, you, you're pre-diabetic and you start to do the research, look at the papers and the articles uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the medical scientific literature. And this bulb goes off and you're like, aha, if we combine the science uh, of this nutritional approach with this technology, I think we can, uh, you know, literally cure diabetes in uh, a, a crazy amount of people across the globe. But, you know, you're not a doctor, you, you know, you're not a biologist, you, you don't come from a clinical background. I, I just think it's remarkable that you make this transition over into healthcare. And one of the things that I don't know, I don't know that I've ever actually asked you this question, or we've talked about this, but here you are, you're, you're, you're essentially a foreigner in, in the healthcare field. Now, yes, I, I know you've, you're, you're, you're a world-class athlete and you have a lot of background in wellness. There's no question about that. Um, and it's, 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 that's clearly obvious, but in terms of, you know, clinical medicine and, and putting it together and actually delivering healthcare to people, that's, that's a serious, uh, you know, that's a serious endeavor. And so I'm wondering as an outsider to the healthcare industry, you're coming in with this uh, background as an entrepreneur, as a data person, as a technologist, as a, you know, a, a business person. What does the healthcare delivery scene look to you like? I mean, you're, so you're, you're, you know, you're seeing it, you're listening to people. How does it strike you the way we go about delivering healthcare? Our, our 
business mindset and our technology mindset. Do you, could you do you still remember those first few thoughts and and how it felt? And you thought to yourself, "God, I'm thinking differently about this." I'm I'm just really curious about that. Yeah, well, that's a good question. And like you mentioned, I certainly uh, come from outside of the healthcare world and healthcare industry with zero prior experience. Um, well, first of all, I should say, I do think there is value and benefit in not knowing why the industry is how it is and value and benefit of being a little bit naive and not knowing exactly how things work. You know, you're more creative. You don't take no for an answer and may, perhaps you can be more creative. Um, however, it would be foolish to just jump in and try to pretend that you know how you can fix everything. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do make that mistake when they enter a new industry. So what I've tried to do is surround myself with um, talented experts like yourself and, and many scientists and clinicians and healthcare business executives as, as advisors. So I can listen to them and then, as I like to say, listen carefully, then selectively ignore <laughs> because you have to bring something new to the table. Um, so that's the approach I've taken. But I think my initial impression was, wow, it kind of is starting to make sense why 18% of the American GDP goes into healthcare. And initially, when you see kind of how we deliver care and how it works and how we, you know, bill for services and how that drives actually what we tend to do with patients. The initial feeling is, wow, this is amazing. We are going, we have so many ways in which we can improve this. Of course, in our case, there's the clinical science to reverse type 2 diabetes, just, but just from a care delivery perspective. So initially I got this excitement, like, wow, we can change so many things. But then quickly you realize that there's, there are so many um, forces that are trying to keep the system together, whether that's regulation or the business models or the billing models. And around that comes with a lot of regulation, why you have to do certain things the way you do. Um, and it's actually can be very difficult to change some of these uh, structures. So I guess my emotional experience first was first I was elated and I thought, wow, there's so many things messed up. We can fix this with technology. And then secondly, you realize that, oh, there's actually a reason why. <laughs> why nothing has changed for the, few, the last few decades. And it makes it very, very difficult. Um, and um, so th I think those were some of my first expressions and uh, impressions. Yeah. And I'd be happy to share how then we decided to uh, try to turn the regulation and everything that exists to our benefit. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely get into that. You, you know, Sammy, I've heard this from other entrepreneurs who enter uh, the healthcare industry and it's interesting, this, uh, even this uh, initial elation and then some, a little bit of deflation that you describe. I've heard that as well. Uh, and, and many leave and don't pursue it and persevere as you've done. What, you know, what were the, if you can recall, uh, what were some of the inefficiencies that sort of, you know, just hit you in the face, so to speak, when you, you know, when you first walked in that first year or so? Where you said, "Wow, this could be a lot, a lot more efficient, a lot better. We can get better outcomes." Were there before we get into the application of the, you know, what you guys did specifically? Were there were the things that sort of jumped out at you about that? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, well, well, a couple of things here, all of which have in one form or the another factored into into the Verda model. Um, one is how much the billing and the revenue model drives how medicine is practiced and how much, how many resources go into checking whether you're eligible and then submitting claims and how they get rejected and how many people are on the back at the back office of every physician's office. Uh, and then when you start a company from scratch, you start thinking about, Oh my God, if we have to do that, um, that means we really have to hire a bunch of people and build a lot of software just for that, uh, that purpose. So that was one area. Um, the second one is, it is, oh, it was amazing to me how little, uh, the technologies that are used elsewhere in the corporate 
world, whether that's communication internally or using software machine learning to find what's relevant and whatnot, really had not uh, been factored into the physician's workflow. Um, and I realized that the technologies were available, a lot of the products were available, but changing the process of a physician was absolutely impossible um, for a number of reasons, which is another topic that we could discuss. Um, and so it was just kind of amazing to realize that how far all these technologies had developed and how little of them had been adopted by um, physicians and uh, the healthcare industry in general. So I think those are the the two things that I, I noticed first, and we tried to kind of get around those. And, and the other thing I, I've uh, in previous interviews that we've done, you you talk about the the consumer mindset and the customer experience and how you feel uh, and 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 you were in your previous role at Trulia and, and uh, as you say and still you feel like you are competing. Your competitors are actually, as you shared with me, you're thinking about Facebook and and Amazon and Google as your competitors in terms from a a customer perspective, and 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 how did you uh, how did you find that when you you know first entered healthcare? What was your thoughts about that? Yeah, that, that's a good point, and thanks for uh, for reminding me of that. So, um, uh, similar to being a consumer of enterprise products and enterprise software products in any company, whether that's the HR software or your expense claims or whatever that might be that's coming down from your CIO in a large company, as an individual consumer or employee, you realize that, wow, how are we using this piece of software that feels like so 1990s when everything else that you use on your free time, whether it's for communication or tools that you download into your smartphone, is so much more sophisticated, like a decade ahead. Um, I had that same feeling in, in healthcare in that it appeared to me that many of the solutions, interventions, products that we are offered by the healthcare, organized healthcare system are there because somebody has the best enterprise sales force as opposed to the <laughs> very best consumer product. So my belief is, and this is how we're building Verda as well, is that Today, any healthcare intervention or product you build, you have to assume that in 10 years' time, um, consumers have near full freedom and power to choose which product or intervention that they use. So unless you win in an open uh, consumer-driven market, you really have no future. And maybe I'm too optimistic, optimistic by saying that it happens in 10 years' time. But that's really the philosophy behind everything we do at Verda. I say, assume that Verda is free. Assume that there are 10 other choices available that are similar. Build a product where consumer would cho choose to be with us. Um, and that's kind of the mindset that we are trying to introduce. And that has really happened in the corporate world now. If you look at tools like Dropbox for file sharing, um, people adopted it and they adopted it because it was the best user experience. They didn't, did not adopt the cloud file sharing that came down from the CIO who said, Hey, you know, this is what we put, put down and everybody has to use it. So I, I do think healthcare will experience the same. Perhaps it takes a little bit longer, but that's definitely where we're headed. Sure. Uh, I, I think you're, I, I mean, I would agree with you, Sammy. I, I don't know that it's going to take 10 years. Um, I mean, what you're sharing, at least as I hear it, is that uh, people feel, patients feel like they don't have a choice uh, and uh, at least they're not acting that way. But I think increasingly, you know, we're seeing more and more of that. And uh, in particular, it's being driven by payers and employers who are beginning to uh, to navigate uh, patients by tiering uh, uh, providers that are uh, uh, delivering less value. Uh, and so, uh, so, uh, it, it may not take as long as 10 years, but, uh, but we'll see, but, you know, so I am, I am just, again, sort of, I'm sitting at the edge of my seat here. I, I want to hear the, so how did you, you, you brought all this technology background, this consumer experience background, uh, and, uh, and, and, and then you coupled with a couple of world-class scientists 
in this area of uh, ketogenics, this uh, uh, low-carb, high-fat diet to, that can reverse diabetes. So how did you put this together to create a, essentially a, a virtual diabetes clinic? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the premise itself is, is pretty simple. And I'll, I'll, I'll share the product vision and then perhaps secondly, how, how did we set up the company and, and, and why the structure? Um, well, first, once it became clear to me after reading some of the peer-reviewed evidence, as well as my own experience, once it became clear to me that the science and the protocol of using ketogenesis to reverse insulin resistance actually works, while it's, it's complicated and requires a lot of individualization to really be able to be successful long-term. So once I realized that it fundamentally works, it was very clear to me that if we can effectively put in the best scientific minds and the best clinical minds into the pockets of every single person living with type 2 diabetes today in the world, I had no doubt we could reverse diabetes in almost everyone. And so that was really my personal product vision. I said, if I can put in Dr. Stephen Finney, who's, <laughs> who's my co-founder and our chief medical officer, who's got the science background, and one of our uh, nutritionists who's got PhD also in, in nutrition, if we can put her and Dr. Finney into the pockets of every diabetic anywhere in the world to provide that kind of daily guidance, uh, clinical oversight, I have zero doubt we can reverse type 2 diabetes in, in almost everyone. So that was kind of the product vision. And of course, with everyone walking around with their smartphones in their pocket, everyone uh, comfortable with using uh, sensors to measure their uh, daily biomarker values, whether that's glucose or ketones at home, uh, I thought, well, technology can facilitate that feeling that you have expert clinical and scientific advice in your pocket all the time. Um, so that was really the product vision, and that's pretty much what we built build at Verda. And then the second thing is how we structured the company, which I think is really has been essential for us to be able to deliver the results and outcomes and then also be able to commercially deploy is we didn't just say, let's build an app or let's, you know, have an app with a coach. I said, uh, we have to be able to overcome the inertia from existing physicians who may not understand what we do or the inertia of us training physicians to change their processes. Instead, we said, let's build what I call a full stack company in that we are a licensed provider. We're now a licensed provider in all 50 states. So we have a medical practice, full-time physicians who practice medicine. And then, of course, we have a technology arm. So we build all the software in-house. Um, we build all the consumer experiences in-house. Um, but it's a, it's a completely new type of a company. And this is not a perfect analogy, and I sometimes I don't like using this, but if you think of the blockbusters, uh, renting out videos, and then you have Netflix. Uh, and then Netflix is a, is a combination of content entertainment and hardcore technology. Uh, so to some extent, we are doing the same in healthcare in that we are not just a technology company and we are not a provider trying to introduce some new technology, but we are a combination of those both, both of those two things. That's great. I mean, this vision of uh, putting uh, the treatment in people's pocket, every type 2 diabetic across the world, to have the, this treatment in their pocket is a very, very compelling vision. So could you, could you share how, who's on, you know, who's in this virtual clinic? Uh, what are the roles? Who are the professionals? And, um, how, how are they? Let's say you were going to sign me up for Verta. Uh, what would I experience? What, what is the experience of the patient and, and who am I in touch with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, first, in the front end of, of a patient experience, um, we have a brief intake call where you can speak with one of our full-time team members and ask any questions that you might have, any concerns you might have, any expectations you might have to kind of evaluate if, if Verda is the right thing for you. And we think that regardless of all the technologies that we use, it's important to provide that human touch. And this is primarily over the phone. And then the second step is um, our treatment is pretty intense uh, or intensive, I should say. Uh, and we want to make sure that we make the best decisions for each patient and evaluate whether they can become our patients. So we 
send you to labs and we have contracts throughout the country so you can use your local provider or lab provider and we get your full metabolic panel and then after that you have the first televisit with one of the full-time physicians or the physicians and that's really it's really a history and physical where again you have a chance as a patient to ask questions whether this is the right thing for you and then we start creating the individualized care plan and i have to highlight the word individualized because with metabolic health really nothing is one size fits all so you have to individualize everything and so after that the real Alberta treatment starts. And the treatment itself, um, it uh, consists of a couple of features, a couple of experiences that you get. One, you actually receive a number of tools from Verda to do self-tracking, self-monitoring at home. Uh, so we ship you a starter kit that allows you to um, measure your biomarkers, such as blood glucose and blood ketones. And we have a cell phone connected scale as well. So you get those tools. Then secondly, um, you get a one-on-one individualized, one-on-one dedicated health coach, which is also a full-time murder employee. And this is your person to do the troubleshooting, problem-solving, individualization and support with. And that interaction primarily happens through our smartphone app or computer, whichever device you tend to use as, as a patient. And then thirdly, um, you of course get an individualized care plan, which doesn't only include uh, individualized nutrition, but then also other things that you may need to work with. Um, So that may include some behavioral issues. And then usually later in the treatment as we've restored metabolic health, there may be some uh, exercise counseling as well, although exercise is not required to to reverse type 2 diabetes. Um, And then uh, lastly, Every patient can interact, it's optional, but they can interact with, with other patients in, in our patient's community. So that's also a place where patients can, can interact and get support and solve some problems that are not of clinical nature. So that's really, so if you think of the Verda treatment, it is continuous remote care. It is a long-term journey where it is not a one-time visit, it's not a one-time effort, but we start it. And then depending on how quickly we can restore metabolic health, it may take six months of intense uh, treatment first and then long-term support or sometimes we can get patients off of diabetes medications in just one or two months and then it's more of a maintenance after that but that's really the experience so um, as I mentioned earlier we really try to give you the sense that you have a physician and a coach uh, 24-7 in your pocket and they support you on your journey to better metabolic health and you know, I, I, I've heard you talk about this before. You, you have quite a bit of emphasis on, well, clearly the, the medical part. You're, you're, you're taking these, uh, people with diabetes, the, the, uh, the, and is there, well, let me ask you this. Is there a nutritionist in, involved or does the health coach does do that or does the doctor do that or is there a third person involved in, in, in helping people uh, get onto this ketogenic diet? Yeah. Good question. So, well, first of all, our clinical team basically has two types of professionals. It's one, uh, medical doctors, licensed medical doctors. Um, and, you know, they have different backgrounds. We have endocrinologists, uh, internists, uh, but then, of course, everyone is trained based on, on the Verda protocol. Uh, but it is a team, even though you have your own dedicated physician, uh, the, our team of Verda doctors then can, uh, like in any health system, they have their own little grand rounds where they can discuss complex patient issues and then get the best practices and address whatever is going on. So that's one group of professionals we have, so licensed word of physicians. And then we have what we call health coaches. And uh, to your point, different health coaches have different backgrounds. So similar to um, with physicians, if there's specific types of issues, that uh, some of our patients have, whether that's behavior health related, there's always someone who can then figure out how do we address that um, with a specific patient. Um, lots of the protocol and treatment has been programmed into the software and the technology. So we really try to make sure that the technology provides 90% of the answers and the care, 
And then the 10%, that is the very complex and the individualization, which really makes a difference between long-term success and failure, is then provided by the full-time Verda Care team members, whether that's the coach, the coach or the physician. Um, but that's, that's basically our approach. And um, so rather than saying software is going to replace doctors, the software is going to replace uh, health coaches, we say that software really gives superpowers to these experts and professionals. And these superpowers make them much more productive, allows them to treat much more patients and do it much more safely. And, and so you have these uh, treatment protocols and these algorithms in the software. Is that, is that, so you've really sort of standardized the care as much as you can. Is that correct? Uh, that's, that's correct. That's great. Uh, I mean, this is, and, and again, I think the listeners to this program are, are obviously familiar with this. This is, you, you know, one of the goals of healthcare today is really to move us to uh, using evidence-based uh, standardized protocols that are uh, embedded in the technology. And as you, as you point out, um, this doesn't uh, replace or supplant the physicians or other providers, but this really allows them to focus on you know, issues of, uh, uh, that are more complex as well as uh, customizing the care for the individual patient. So I applaud you for, for, for really doing that and taking the evidence-based medicine and standardizing it in that way. I also, Sammy, I've heard you talk about this quite a bit. You, you, you and your, your colleagues, the health coaches in particular at Verda, understand that um, diabetes as a chronic disease is, is largely a behavioral issue. Um, and it, it's so dependent on, on what people eat. And so um, you spend a lot of time focusing on this and, and making sure as people come up against obstacles and challenges in their life, whether it's being going to a restaurant uh, or, or hanging out with friends or uh, just dealing with the fact that they, you know, they're no longer need their medications or they've lost a lot of weight and they look good. This really creates some challenges for, for people. Do you want to, could you take a, a moment and just sort of share that, that emphasis or what you're, you know, how you, you maybe you have a story even to share about that? Um, a story about particularly when people are successful and how that can become a challenge. Is that yeah. what you asked? Yeah. Or if you have other stories, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, first of all, I, I think the premise is right. Without some level of behavior change, nothing happens. Uh, at the same time, our sort of overarching approach to restoring insulin resistance is that if you fix the biology, um, what appears like a behavior change problem can become and will become much, much, much easier. And I, I guess an example of that would be um, uh, willpower usually always runs out. Mm. And typically it runs out after the wedding photo. <laughs> so, so, so you can you, you, you can encourage anyone to be in a caloric deficit, even if they're hungry and hangry and crumpy, until you have that wedding photo or the half marathon that you wanted to run. And then after that, the willpower runs out and and you sort of bounce back. So our fundamental approach to reversing insulin resistance is, is fixing the biology. And if you fix the biology with the right science, behavior change becomes much easier. Uh, but then there's a whole different layer of, of behavior issues that we have addressed and we, we have to address. And I'll just give a couple of examples. So one, which is counterintuitive is uh, people think, well, First of all, people think that you have to lose a lot of weight to reverse type 2 diabetes. The answer is that you actually don't have to. But our patients do tend to lose a lot of weight. And currently, on average, average the body weight loss of one year is 13%, 1-3, 13% of body weight, which is very substantial. But we don't set any kind of uh, weight loss goals when a patient starts. And that's very counterintuitive for a lot of people. But one of the reasons behind that is uh, we want to avoid disappointments or early overemphasis on, on weight loss because it can backfire very quickly. So that's one example of a behavior tool or insight that we have, which is to de-emphasize weight loss. In fact, not setting any kind of weight loss goals. So that's one example. Another example of, of a behavior change challenge which is very counterintuitive is 
when many of our patients end up losing lots of body weight, um, the conventional wisdom is that, well, everyone's going to be very, very happy that this is amazing. But it turns out that uh, there are a number of people who may have had significant body image issues. And then let's say you lose 50, 60, 70 pounds and everyone is starting to stare at you. In this case, perhaps because they are at some level uh, sort of attracted or excited about what they're seeing, it, it can be a very stressful experience for someone who has a lot of body image issues. So that's a behavior issue that we have to deal with so that the person doesn't um, go backwards in the progress simply because there's um, emotional issues attached to that. Um, so it's, it's actually an amazing set of new challenges that we sometimes deal with our patients when they lose, say, 50, 60, 70 pounds over the course of a year or so and uh, quote unquote become healthy, but then you have to address a whole new set of issues. So we do have a uh, licensed psychologist as well as one of our uh, physicians. And so we can always address these type of specific issues if need be. You know, and Sammy, for me, the, the one of the take home points about this is, you know, so here you are, you have this sort of digital or virtual, you know, diabetes clinic. And, you know, I can imagine people thinking uh, that this is, you know, it's good, but it's not as good as if it was in person. Um, and, I, I, you know, in terms of the customer experience, the patient experience, the uh, empathy, the connection and trust uh, with the providers. But it seems to me, and I, and I don't have any data to support this, but it seems to me what you've built here is just as good as an in-person experience. And quite honestly, I think it's better than, than many I've heard or experienced myself. I mean, do you, what kind of feedback are you getting from uh, the patients in terms of the experience? Again, this is by phone. It's a, a virtual experience. Uh, you know, how do the patients feel about that? And, and how are they connecting with the providers? Yeah, well, well, first of all, the data speaks for itself. And when I look at our clinical trial results and at 10 weeks and one year, the percentage of people who reverse their type 2 diabetes, which is more than half and, you know, 80% or more than 80% retention at, at one year and, and uh, average 13% weight loss at, at one year. So from a pure outcomes perspective, the results are absolutely phenomenal. Um, and there's really nothing that gets even close whether it's inpatient or outpatient. So to me, the, the results speak for themselves. So that's sort of point one. Point two is just patient experience. So we track net promoter score, NPS, which um, many, many, most companies track today. And for us, it's it's close to 70, 70, which is just about the same or a little better than Apple products. So iPhones, iPads, so forth. So there's very few healthcare interventions, healthcare products that patients love more than their iPhone. So to me, that tells something that the, the patients absolutely love it. Um, and then the third point in terms of providing this type of technology-enabled care is unless you are in a fully inpatient setting 24-7, whether that's just a hospitalization or ER or something like that, um, we have the ability to connect and help the patients literally 24-7 or at least during the wake-up hours and if you just go and see your physician for 15 minutes every, even if it's every week or every month or every three months, it obviously leaves a lot of gaps. So technology actually allows a whole different interaction um, and connection between the provider and the patient. Um, and, you know, our average patient, I think today... It's not quite above 60 years of age, but it's pretty close to 60. So we're not talking about 22-year-olds on Instagram. Uh, this is, is, is skews towards the elderly patients, and they love the experience that they can, they can interact with their phone or with their computer. The, that, Sammy, did you, I, I, I forget the number you just said. The net promoter score was how high? It's about 70, 70. I think our all-time wow. NPS is... Uh, yeah, it's either 70 or 69. It's, it's 
it's in that range. And do, do you have any idea of what healthcare in general is, where it hovers, the typical kind of experience people have? Yeah, it's, um, I may be slightly off with this number, but it's somewhere around 10 and 20. That's right. Um, yeah. And so net promoter score is, you know, it is a number between minus 100 and plus 100. Um, but uh, the way it's calculated, it's very, very difficult to get above 50. Um, and um, yeah, I think the most healthcare services are around 10 or 20. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, Sammy, for me, this is really an important point. Um, I think you're right. The, the net promoter scores typically for most providers is somewhere, I think, in the 10 to 20. If you get up to 25 or so, that, that's pretty exceptional. Um, you're at 70. And you're doing it through a virtual process. So I, I think that puts to, you know, to rest any notion that uh, digitally delivered or virtual care from a interpersonal perspective is inferior to the in-person. And again, your, you know, your clinical results are outstanding. I just want to, you know, the listeners may have missed this. I just want you to repeat this because I do actually think it's important. And I know you've emphasized this with me quite a bit as, uh, over the past two or three years that, you know, you, you guys are there to deliver a result. People are coming to you because they have a problem. They have type 2 diabetes. They're on lots of medications. Um, uh, they're, uh, they're working hard to lose weight and keep the weight off. And, uh, and, and, you know, very, this is a, this is a chronic disease that is uh, of epidemic proportions. It's uh, devastating. It has sequelae of strokes and heart disease and, uh, and, 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 uh, and blindness and other disabilities. And it's just getting worse and worse, not just in the U.S., but across the globe. So here they are coming to you with a very, very concrete problem. And uh, what you're saying is through this digital or virtual uh, uh, diabetes clinic using uh, this ketogenic approach. I just want you to tell me again, you, you end up reversing um, what percentage of the diabetics so far, and you said it's, it's sustained for a certain number of months, you have a pretty high sustainment rate. And also I'm, I'm curious if you could remind me and inform the listeners, uh, what percentage, this is not by increasing medications, this is actually by decreasing medications. And so could you just say a little bit about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, we're completely changing the paradigm from trying to better manage people living with type 2 diabetes. So where approach is not about let's try to drive uh, a hypoglycemic drug compliance up so that we can get the blood sugar into a managed diabetes or diabetic range. It is about fundamentally reversing the disease. So um, in terms of the, the outcomes, uh, people ask always, one, so how many people actually stay on the intervention? Because you must be cherry picking. The answer is more than 80%, more than 80% of one year, which beats the compliance to even taking a, a, a chronic disease medicine. Uh, so that's a compliance. Two, more than 60% of our patients who start as type 2 diabetics have diabetes in remission or diabetes reversed at one year. And our definition for that is that you are, uh, your blood sugar is in a non-diabetic range and you're off of all diabetes medications, excluding metformin because most many primary care physicians are starting to prescribe that for, for other reasons. Uh, and then three, um, in terms of medication eliminations, absolutely. We see half of all the prescriptions are deep prescribed, and let's let's pick up a medicine that's thought to be the last hope for someone with type two diabetes, which is insulin. And in the peer-reviewed results that we've already published, in under three months, patients starting on insulin, ninety percent, nine zero percent, either had it completely eliminated or reduced in just ten weeks. Um, which is remarkable, not just for the patient, because pulling an insulin needle one, two, three times a day for 10, 15 years, and then suddenly getting off of it is, it's, it's a pretty amazing win. But it's also for the health systems who take capitation or helplines, it's massive cost savings. Yeah, this is, uh, Sammy, I, you know, I, every time I talk to you, every time I read these numbers and I look at the studies that you are doing, your, your researchers at Verda are doing uh, with uh, university colleagues, um, I just, I, you know, this is such a debilitating 
uh, disease and such a huge uh, public health problem uh, nationally and globally. And uh, I'm just, uh, I just can't, you know, I can't say enough about it. It's just uh, to, to be able to have something that, uh, you know, reverses diabetes again, as you say, without having to torture yourself by trying to lose weight and keep it off and exercise and uh, starve yourself and all that. Uh, I think it's just, um, it, it really is quite remarkable. What, um, what have, I, I mean, you know, here you have such a great story, uh, a great solution for such a big problem in healthcare. Uh, how, how is this being accepted? Uh, who's, uh, so, he, you know, you're, you're a company and you're, you're selling your product. Who are you selling it to? How's that going? What, what are some of the challenges? As you mentioned earlier on uh, in our conversation, uh, there's a lot of legacy and a lot of regulations in healthcare. And uh, just wondering how, how how's that going, and what's your experience of that? Yeah, well, the, overall, we are absolutely on track with what we wanted to accomplish, um, and we've only been publicly available since March of 2017. Um, and I, I can share some details, um, but first, I have to say the commercial model that we use is that we only want to get paid for results, and when we were starting Verda, I thought, wow, if, if we can reverse type 2 diabetes, we can do it safer than just the existing management of the disease. We save massive amount of money, and we only want to get paid for actual results, and we want to get paid less than what we save. This has to be a no-brainer. I don't think we even need to be selling this because everyone's going to come and knock our door and say, the world needs that, patients need us, please come here and do that. Now, <laughs> that was a pretty naive thought. Uh, that, that's not how the healthcare works. So even though our model is uh, that employers and health plans only pay for results, it still requires lots and lots of complicated negotiations and planning and contracting and security and privacy and so forth. But um, just since the last six, seven months when we've been public uh, with, with our intervention and treatment and results, um, We've signed several large employers. Uh, a couple of them are now public references. I can mention two, uh, Nielsen Holdings, which is a ratings company nationwide, and uh, Purdue University in Indiana. Uh, these companies, for example, have paid the further treatment to all their type 2 diabetics and some other people with metabolic health issues. Um, uh, and we've deployed, and one of the things we really wanted to also show, not just that the Verda results persist and we can replicate them in a commercial population, we also wanted to show that patients actually want it, um, and we've now been able to deliver, oh, three or four times more enrollment and activation than these employers expected, um, and that's been very exciting for us. So. And then what else should I mention? We are now live in all 50, 50 states in America. So 100% of Americans living with type 2 diabetes now have access to Verda. By the way, that's another just, it's kind of, it's amazing to think about if you think of the traditional approach to healthcare delivery, you'd need a couple of decades and billions and billions of dollars to be able to touch and reach everyone of the 300 million people living here. And now here we are, we are a three-year-old company and we are available, our clinic is available to every single one of the 300 million people in America. And that's only possible with technology. So now, of course, it's, it's a whole another level of work and effort needed to make sure that Verda is covered by insurance universally so that the patients don't have to pay too much out of pocket. But mm -hmm. that's what we're working towards. And, and do you have any sense of... Um... The, I mean, you've already shared with us the science and, and the results in terms of the reduction in uh, blood sugars, the reversal of diabetes, the lowering of uh, the number of medications, including insulin. What, in, what about the economics of it? So you've got uh, some employers who are your customers and uh, they're purchasing your service and, uh, and giving it to their uh, employees who have type 2 diabetes. What, what's the, you know, what's the, what's the money factor here? Are they, I mean, we clearly know, and you probably have these numbers more on the tip of your tongue than I do, but if you have an employee who has uh, diabetes, 
I vaguely recall, and I, I haven't looked these numbers up in a good year or two, but uh, the, the cost of someone with diabetes is, I think, some, something like eight to $12,000. If it's a diabetic with a complication, it goes up to $20,000 or more a year for, for take for the medical cost for that person. So, so diabetes has a cost. And if you're an employee and if you're in an employer sponsored health uh, plan, uh, that cost is borne by largely by the employer, as well as obviously the employee to a certain extent. What um, do you have any, any numbers there in terms of, of what this might save uh, employers who purchase uh, Verta for their employees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the primary uh, promise and uh, claim that I, I would say is that we always want to make sure that the, within the first 12 months, there is a real cash-on-cash cash ROI or return on investment for the employer, meaning that the money spent on Verda per patient is less than the actual real cash savings uh, for the employer in, in the first year for those employees who are, who are signed in Verda. Uh, how, how does that translate into numbers? Um, the savings that we can deliver on an average basis are in the high single digit thousands of dollars per person per year. Um, the reason I don't want to give a specific number is it always depends a little bit on the population. Um, when you look at someone who is on expensive branded medications, injectables, uh, such as insulin and GLP-1s, uh, you can say upwards of $10,000 per person per year. And then if you have someone who is just recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, no complications, is perhaps on generics like metformin only, uh, the savings are only in, in a couple of thousand dollars. So it really depends on the population, but on average, it's in the thousands of dollars per person per year that we could save. And then, of course, as a chronic disease, when you keep diabetes in remission, those savings persist year after year. That's great. Sammy, I, I, I see that we're coming on close to an hour here, and I, I promised you we would try to keep it to an hour. A couple more questions. What's your, you, you shared with us your, the incredible ambition that you have in, in terms of reversing uh, by 2025, 100 million people who have type 2 diabetes. Um, what do you have any other sort of vision for, or in the next, you know, two three years for Verto and what you'd like to accomplish? Yeah, good question. Uh, there's definitely lots of work ahead of us to <laughs> to reverse diabetes in 100 million people by 2025. I'd say the um, uh, the biggest things for us in the next couple of years is one, we're definitely focused on U.S. We may do something outside of U.S., but for the next, I'd say, 18 months at least, the primary focus is in the U.S. Two is um, we want to be successful in uh, very broad uh, set of populations. Um, and what that means is, is whether you are a Native American or, you know, Hispanics in the Central Valley on California. So we want to make sure that we deliver amazing outcomes in all, all kinds of uh, populations in America. And that requires some additional product investments. That's the second one. And the third one is um, we're continuously building towards universal insurance coverage. Um, so it may seem like a no-brainer that everyone should be on Verda if you're type 2 diabetic. Why should you manage the disease if you can reverse it? But to achieve that sort of universal coverage, uh, it's going to take a couple of years of, of very, very hard work. Mm -hmm. Sammy, I, I want to go back because I, I, I have a question in my mind that I just I, I have to ask. So here you are, you, you've, you're demonstrating the success with research protocol and studies. You're, you're out in the market and in the real world, you're, you're, you're showing these successes with employers who are purchasing your product for their employees. Why? Why, and you must be asking yourself this question, why aren't there more uh, employers, uh, payers beating down your door to, 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 you know, get this for their patients and their uh, employees and their customers? Do, do you have a sense of, or maybe it's going as, as fast as it can go, I don't know, but I'm just, I'm just wondering about that. Um, um, yeah, I, when I'm sort of inside of everything we do, it, it it can be puzzling like that. Hey, why shouldn't everyone be doing this like tomorrow? 
Um, but then when I take a step back and sort of look at objectively, I think it's going as, as fast as it can and as long as it should. And the reason for this perhaps perceived slowness is it's really twofold. One, um, the enterprise decision makers really have different incentives. So they, for the most part, come to work to play safe and make thoughtful decisions to, you know, this is kind of exaggerates a little bit, but make decisions not to get fired as opposed to change the world every day. Uh, so I think that's one reason. So what that means is people tend to make decisions about healthcare choices and what things are covered with a very, very kind of, I'll make it when I have to, as opposed to let's go and uh, really do something remarkable. So I think that's one. And then the second one is pretty much in anything you have an adoption curve. And I think Jeffrey Moore was one of those people who wrote about the crossing the chasm and so forth. So you always have the early adopters and then you have the, you know, the early majority and then eventually you have, have everyone. And I think in anything new you do, you sort of have to go through those phases and there's only so many early adopters. Most people will look around and say, Hey, I'll, I'll do that once XYZ peer company or peer leader has done that. Um, and, uh, there are things that you can do to accelerate that, which we are working on, but to some extent you just sort of have to go step by step. Okay, Sammy, I'm going to, I'm going to take it home here. Cause I, I'm, I've, again, I'm really grateful for the time you're spending and I know you've got a lot of things that you uh, can and should be doing a couple uh, one more question, maybe one or two. What was, um, you, you spend a lot of time giving back, you give back, uh, to, uh, a community of entrepreneurs, uh, as a mentor. Um, what, what was the best piece of advice you were ever given in terms of being an entrepreneur or creator? Best ever advice. That's <laughs> a, now the bar is very high. So this is going to really evaluate my, uh, my, thoughtfulness here. What's the best ever as an entrepreneur? Um, I tend to be in a position to give a lot of advice to others. Now speaking in conferences about this, um, well, I, I, this is kind of a simple one, but I think the hardest step is the very first step, which is the moment when you say, I'm going to burn the lifeboats and there's only one way and it is to swim to the shore, and now we have to get going. Uh, so this applies to very sort of people who are contemplating starting something, and there's 999 people contemplating starting something against every one person who actually ends up starting something. So that's really the hardest step. Then once you start taking steps in front of you, uh, the ball starts rolling, and then you're off to, off to it. So um, that's really the hardest, hardest decision. And then after that, have 25 other tips <laughs> to share, but I think that's the, the hardest thing. Well, maybe, maybe that'll be the next podcast, uh, Sammy's 25 uh, entrepreneurial t and creative tips. Um, Sammy, what, uh, is there a message you have uh, in closing for our listeners, some key takeaways, something you want them to remember, call to action? Um, yeah, I, I would say this, um, when change happens, First, um, most people who are predicting change, they're predicting it to happen much faster than it happens. Uh, and then once it really starts happening, it's this exponential curve. It happens much, much, much faster than anyone ever imagined that it, it would happen. And I'm not going to make a prediction how this is going to go in healthcare. But I would just remind everyone that when you think of this exponential curve, when you're on this flat part, it seems like you don't even hear the rapid approaching. It's just calm and quiet. And then when things start changing, they change very, very fast. And if this seems like this doesn't really happen, uh, just think about taxis and the Uber experiences these days. Think about how we watch TV and how that's really completely changes, changing how we watch movies, um, what happened, happened with smartphones. So when change starts happening, it will happen very, very fast. And I am pretty convinced 
this will happen in healthcare as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Sammy. And thank you so much. That was uh, both your advice. Um, I, I actually am going to take your advice to heart about burning the lifeboats. Um, it's, uh, it's a really great piece of advice. And I think what you just said is, is, is really pretends the uh, immediate future of healthcare. I think things are going to change and for the better. Um, so, so Sammy, again, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and, and sharing your wisdom and experience with us and what you're doing with your colleagues at Berta. And um, I want to also, of course, thank our listeners. Uh, these are the folks that are out there each and every day doing the hard work of taking care of patients and also directly supporting those people who are taking care of patients. So thank you for joining me. This is Zev Newworth. You've been listening to Creating New Healthcare. And folks, actually, this is the first podcast uh, where I'm going to actually share an email with you. If you'd like to uh, email me, if you have some uh, feedback about the podcast, uh, some ways to improve it, some suggestions for future topics, uh, I'm all ears. And you can reach me at uh, Zev, that's Z-E-E-V, as in Victor, Zev, at creatinganewhealthcare.com. That's Zev at creatinganewhealthcare.com. And uh, until next time, wishing you all good health and good living.